0: Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, with all thy quickening power, come shed abroad a Savior's love that it may kindle ours, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A rabbi had gone to have dinner with his friends, and after a night of eating and drinking, he had decided it was time to go home. So he left. It was the wee hours of the morning, and he was uh, sort of walking home joy-filled, so to speak. And uh, as he made his way home, he came to this very familiar fork in the road. He'd walked this road many, many times before. He knew which path in the road to take, but he wasn't paying any attention. He was caught up reminiscing about the evening and taking in the stars overhead, those same stars that Abraham had gazed upon so long ago. And distracted by this joyful evening and the stars, he, he took the path to the right. Now, he knew not to take the path to the right because his home was to the left, But he took the path to the right anyway and continued down the road. And suddenly, out of nowhere, a voice came from overhead. Hey, you, who are you and what are you doing here? And the rabbi looked up. And only then did he realize his mistake. He had taken the path that led him not to his home but to the outskirts of a Roman military base. And he looked up and he saw this Roman military officer in a guard stand in the middle of the night, and the guard yelled at him again, Hey, you! Who are you and what are you doing here? And the rabbi looked at him and then he started to laugh. And you can imagine that the Roman military officer was not particularly amused at this moment. And he said to him, why are you laughing? And the rabbi said, how much do they pay you? The Roman military officer said, pay me to do what? How how much do they pay you? How How much do they pay me to do what? How much do they pay you to stand up there in that guard stand in the middle of the night and scare the daylights out of people who are lost like me? And the Roman military officer said, well, um... I don't know, 50 denarii a month. And the rabbi said, I'll pay you double. He said, you'll pay me double to do what? I will pay you double. I will pay you twice as much if you will spend the rest of your life following me around and every day, twice a day, you will ask me those two questions. Who are you and what are you doing here? So let me ask you who are you, and what are you doing here? There are, of course, many ways to answer that question. You're surely defined, we are all surely defined by our geography and our relationships, our ethnicity, your job, your family, your church, and all of those identity markers shape us. But each of us if we take those questions seriously, we would surely have to do some soul work like that rabbi if we wanted to answer those questions well. And it is precisely the set of questions that Paul is trying to address to the church in Galatia. Paul has begun his letter to uh, recounting the many travels that he's taken, the ones that have taken him to the Mediterranean, all the way to Asia, to all of the churches that he's planted along the way. He has done good and faithful work sharing the good news of Jesus. But at the time that he is writing to the Galatians, we find Paul just a wee bit, okay, a lot, a lot frustrated. Because the gospel, he learns, has been threatened and conflated and confused by other preachers who are trying to limit who this good news of Christ is for. Because, you see, Paul knew exactly who he was and what he was doing here. Paul was a Jew. He wasn't just a Jew. He was a law-abiding Jew, He was also a Roman citizen, which meant that he had status and authority and power. But in every one of Paul's letters, he is very quick to say that none of that mattered. Because he was here to proclaim Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected, Savior for all, Jew and Gentile alike. Who was he? Paul was a Christian. It's become a loaded word in our world today, but that that suffix, that I A N at the end of Christian, it means to live in or be born into or belong to. If you're from Galatia, you're a Galatian. If you're from Boston, you're a Bostonian. And for Paul, he was a Christian, and Christian wasn't just a label, he belonged to Christ. He was born into Christ's love and grace, a gift that he didn't deserve because he knew his past and his own story. And he knew the expansiveness of this good news down to his very being, enough to know that the gospel was not just a message of grace for him. It was an invitation to participate in the sacred story of God's promise— A story that started with Abraham and carried forth to Christ and to him and to us. A story of life that comes out of death, of hope that comes out of despair, where resurrection is not just possible but real. And this story of promise, it's not just for some people. The gospel is for all of us because of Christ. For Paul, the divisions of the world were apparent everywhere that he went, every church that he planted, every community that he traveled in. There were Jew and Greek, there were slave and free, there were male and female, and all of those identity markers are markers of belonging and place and purpose. But they were also used to separate and to invite judgment from one group on another or power from one group imposed upon the other. We do this kind of sorting still today. Do you live ITP or OTP? Do you go to private school or public school? Are you a Republican or a Democrat, white or black, millennial or boomer? X always gets left out, I know. Georgia fan or Alabama fan, do you play tennis or pickleball? That's the big debate these days. And all of these labels do a really good job of grouping us into some kind of categories they don't answer the questions that the rabbi realized were the vital questions of our lives. Who are you, and what are you doing here? But Paul's ready to help the church get straight, straight to the heart of that question, because Paul leans into the Galatians with the text we heard this morning. There is no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, for all of us are one In Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. Paul's trying to say that none of those other labels matter. They're all superficial at some level. What matters is that you are a Christian, that you belong to Christ. And because you belong to Christ, because God's loving reach is more expansive than we could imagine, and it includes you, then you are a recipient of a promise that began as far back as Abraham, came through Jesus to each and every one of us. It's a story that began before you can remember and a promise that can, with your help, continue for many generations after you are gone. You belong to Christ, and you're counted among those stars overhead as an heir according to the promise. So Paul got to the heart of that first question, who are you? Above all else, we are Christians, ones who belong to Christ, heirs according to the promise. But what about that second question? What are you doing here? Paul reminds us that as heirs of the promise, the promise has no power if we keep it to ourselves. We have a responsibility to contribute to the ways that that promise, that promise of love and hope and grace, is made visible for the world. We have not just an opportunity but a responsibility to use the resources that we have, however big or small to help others know that they are loved by a gracious God, and to build upon that promise for others. The gospel has come alive throughout the generations, and the promise has been carried forth from generation to generation because it has been shared one person, one church, one disciple, one story, one step, one contribution at a time. And it's a promise that still has the capacity to change the world. You know, there there was a French journalist named John Giono. He traveled the countryside, and in 1913, he found himself walking across a particularly desolate part of France. He was walking in between these two, t- two towns, and he was struck by how little life there was as he journeyed across this desert-like land. Not something we think of in France, but his reality at the time. And he could tell in his walking that there even used to be a stream that went along his path, but it had long since dried up. Giono found himself needing water and shelter for the night, and he stopped in a cabin in this wilderness, and he met a hermit and a shepherd named Elzéar Bofier. It's a heck of a name, right? For several nights, Giono watched Bofier keeping to himself, sorting this stack of acorns out on a table. And each morning, he would watch Boffier go outside with this long walking stick and dig holes in the ground and drop an acorn in and cover it back up. He did this multiple days in a row, hundreds of them. When Gianno inquired what he was doing, he learned that Bofier had been planting acorns in this deserted land for more than three years. And he was puzzled by his commitment, but he didn't stop him from continuing this project. After he'd had a chance to to rest, Giona continued on his way. And a year later, World War I began, and Giona's journey and his journalistic efforts took him elsewhere in the country. But several years after the war, he found himself back in this same region of France. And as he was walking over this hill, he noticed these shoulder high oak trees growing up everywhere they had survived the war, as had the shepherd hermit tree planter Boffier, who had never stopped planting acorns that whole time. The trees continued to grow, and with it, the rest of the ecosystem was growing again as well in one thousand nine hundred and thirty three Giano met a forest ranger who was surveying the land and was puzzled by this seemingly uh, natural forest that had developed in the area. And Gianna said, I've got a story to tell you, and he shared the story with the ranger, and the ranger advocated that this land, this otherwise deserted land, become protected ground. And unexpectedly, a deserted land became a promised land. And Boffier, this whole time, continued to plant acorns. But World War I started and people who were desperate for wood began to run their generators, began to cut down a number of trees and they were threatening the forest. And yet the area that Bafia was in had been so desolate for so long that there were no railways or major highways running through the area that had been built up And so it didn't prove profitable to cut down any of his trees. And so the trees were free to continue to grow, and Baffier free to continue to plant. Giano ran into Baffier once more in 1945. By then, Baffier was 87 years old, and he had dedicated his life to nothing more than this simple work. And what had gone from a totally desolate, barren land had transformed over the decades into this lush ecosystem that was full of life. Giano noticed that not only were there trees, but there were birds about, there was natural flora and fauna. And he said, if you listened ever so carefully, you could hear the gurgling of a brook that had come back to life and was now flowing again with water. Commerce began developing in the area. New neighbors were choosing to move into this lush, rich part of the country that was once lifeless. All because of an unknown man who Gianna wrote about, the man who planted trees. I have to believe that Baffier knew he was an heir of the promise. He didn't simply rest in that truth of his identity. He knew he had a measure of responsibility, as if that Roman soldier had been following him around through that desert land all the time, asking him, who are you and what are you doing here? He built upon the promise of his own life, one acorn at a time. He dared to believe in a future that he couldn't yet see. And his contribution transformed a whole countryside, bringing life and joy and promise for generations to come, many of whom he would never meet. So let me ask you, who are you? And what are you doing here? Today and every day, we are invited to rest in the truth that we belong to Christ. You, each of you, are an heir according to the promise, and that is amazing news, and it is a free gift from God. But because you are an heir of the promise, you are called to plant seeds and watch them grow. And it takes a lot of seeds, and it takes a lot of time. It takes commitment week in and week out to a community that can help you grow. It requires a measure of abundant generosity and investment in a promise. Each week, each dollar, each year's pledge is another acorn, or perhaps a big handful of them, planted in soil that is capable of changing the landscape, not only of our own lives, but of the whole community that we stand to reach and affect. You belong to Christ. You are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. And because you are heirs, you are invited to build upon the promise. Can we plant enough acorns together to transform this community into one that reflects that promise of Christ for all? I have to believe that if each and every one of you participates in building upon the promise of God... We can. Amen.